and turn to 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Once you're there, if you wouldn't mind to stand, we're going to read one verse and pray. First Peter chapter number 3, let's read uh, verse number 15, and when I pause, you say the next word. Are you ready? All right, some of us. Verse number 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your and be ready to give in to every man that asketh you a reason of the that is in you with meekness and fear. The title of the message is Knowing Why. Knowing Why. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can carry around our very own copy. We don't have to be ashamed or fear persecution, but Lord, we can stand boldly for what we believe in your truth. I pray that you would help us for the next few minutes to understand what you want us to learn. Uh, teach us your knowledge, your understanding, and your wisdom. Teach us more about you. Help me as I speak. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would make sense of it all and make the application to hearts and, and lives, Lord, to each and every person listening here and on the live stream. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, Lord, to not only be a hearer, but a doer as well. Lord, help us to live out these truths uh, that we're going to look at. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So I want to start by kind of leading into what brought about this message. Us as a youth group, late the end of last year, I was encouraged and kind of challenged to bring a yearly calendar for our teens. It's something I've never done before. So I went through each month kind of giving dates to different activities. Uh, we meet on Thursdays, youth rallies. Uh, this Saturday we're going on a hiking trip, different things like that. But I thought with this calendar, it needs to have a theme verse and kind of a theme phrase. So our theme verse was John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And the theme along with that was transformed by truth. So really our goal for the year as a youth group was to look at God's word and to try and gain a deeper understanding of God's word. So from the very beginning, January 1st, we've looked at the Bible and kind of just uh, looked at God's word. What does God say about his own word? What's the testimony from God about his own word? And throughout the year, we've looked at different portions of God's Word. We uh, just recently memorized Psalm 1. That was a challenge. We all challenged ourselves, and that was uh, a challenge for sure, but it was good. Uh, we've looked at, so memorizing, meditating on God's Word. What does God's Word say? So kind of from October towards the end, our focus really is 1 Peter 3.15, having an answer. When somebody asks you a Bible question or a question about life, why you do what you do, being able to turn to God's Word and show them, this is why I do what I do. This is God's truth, and He's instructed us in this way. I tell the teens often, they're in high school right now, and in the next few years, 
they are going to be facing some of life's greatest decisions. Where are they going to go to college? If they go to college, who are they going to marry? Are they going to have kids? What kind of car are you going to buy? Where are you going to live? What kind of house are you going to rent? All those many things. Some of life's biggest decisions are just a few short ways, few short days away. And though that's true for them, likewise, we may be beyond a lot of those decisions, maybe not all those decisions, but just the same, we face decisions each and every day. And we have to have an answer. We have to know why we do what we do. If they graduate here in a few years and move out of their parents' home, wherever they live, they're going to have to know why they go to church on Sunday. If they don't have a conviction or an answer of why they go to church on Sunday, well, the likelihood of them continuing to go to church gets smaller and smaller. If they don't have a conviction from God's Word of why they go to church. So we see this truth of looking at God's Word to understand why we do what we do, knowing why. And so I just briefly want to dissect 1 Peter chapter number 3. Hopefully you're still there. It starts by saying, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And we think about sanctification, sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts. That word gives us the understanding of grow, growing more like Christ, becoming more like Christ, growing in our holiness, though we aren't holy, but God has commanded us, be holy for I am holy. Now we know we'll never truly be like him until we see him, but we can, to the best of our ability, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, each and every day, die to self and be alive unto Christ. So sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Uh, Leviticus chapter number 10, Nadab and Abihu had brought a strange fire before the Lord. They offered it unto the Lord, and he killed them. And he said, Moses quoted God's word and said, I will sanctify them that draw nigh unto me. And we know that James chapter number 4, verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, drawing closer to God. Placing God on the throne of our heart. So, continuing in verse number 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you. Be ready always, at each and every moment. If you're going to be ready, you first and foremost must be willing and able. Part of my responsibility here that pastor has asked me to do is finding people to open on services, opening in prayer. And sometimes I'll test, text them and ask, are you willing and able? Sometimes we're willing, but we're not able. Sometimes we're able, yet we're not willing. And when I think about being ready always, being willing and able, I am willing to go play in the NBA and make lots of money, but I'm not quite able to perform like they do. When I think about the reverse of that, uh, I am sometimes able to give an answer, to share my testimony, to be a witness when God places that burden on my heart. But sometimes I'm not always willing. Sometimes I let pride get in the way. So we understand the idea of being ready always gives us the example of being both willing and able. Be ready always to give an answer. We get our answers from the Word of God to every man that asketh you. 
to ask if you a reason of the hope in you. First Peter chapter number one, verse three tells us that Christ is our living hope. The choir sings that song. It's a great song. But we, he is our lively hope. A reason of the hope that is in us. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we know that Christ is our hope. And when people ask us why we do what we do, why we live for the Lord, why we pray, why we tithe, why we study and meditate on God's word, why we memorize scripture, why are we a witness? All those many things that fall under the category of living for the Lord, why we do what we do, we're giving an answer to them of the reason of the Holy Spirit, Christ living inside of us. But it says, it ends with meekness and fear. How many have used the word meekness maybe sometime not recently? Never, maybe, yeah. So sometimes we can read God's Word and come across these words that we today don't necessarily use all the time. <clears throat> so I had to look it up and kind of understand its meaning. So we're to give an answer with meekness and fear. Meekness is, is not weakness, but it's, it's strength under control or uh, humble strength. So Christ said of himself, he is meek and lowly. So uh, you've probably practiced meekness without ever using the word. And I'll use this example. Um, so with idea of power or strength under control. Most, most, most of us drove here, right? And uh, we probably drove a car that would go 80, 90, 100 miles an hour, maybe even faster, or if you own a motorcycle, maybe even faster than that. But we practice meekness by, there's all that power under the hood. We could go 100, but yet we're going to uh, withhold that power and obey that sign that says speed limit 40 miles an hour, right? So practicing meekness. Christ himself said he was meek and lowly. He went to the cross humbly as a servant, died in your place, in my place. He could have called down 10,000 angels to take him off that cross. He did not have to do that, but yet he showed by example meekness. And yet in fear, in fear, Isaiah 8, 13 says, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear. Sometimes it's easy for us to forget. We live here in America, things are comfortable, we don't have to fear persecution or, I mean, our worst fear really in, in, in going to be a witness is that somebody might slam the door in our face. Shame on us, you know. But giving an answer not uh, in fear of a man. Some people died for their faith. They were martyrs. They stood up for what they believed in, even unto death. Yet yeah, we're afraid of what people might think or we might offend somebody. So giving an answer, knowing we have the truth in meekness and fear. Meekness to the degree that we know we have the answer. We don't need to beat them over the head with it, right, and belittle them. We are, we are no greater than them. The, the ground's level at the cross. If it wasn't for Christ, we would be nothing. With meekness and fear, the fear of the Lord. So let me read verse 15, and then we're going to move on to the next verse. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. If you and I are going to give an answer, we must know the answer first and foremost, but to find the answer, it can come in various ways, but 
one of the key ways is we're going to have to study. We're going to have to read, right? We can learn some answers by listening to good preaching and teaching of God's Word, but sometimes that's not enough. We need to read and study God's Word for ourselves. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Maybe some of you could quote it. That would be great if you can. We're going to take a look at it. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. If we're going to have an answer, we ourselves are going to have to know why. We're going to have to read. We're going to have to study. I don't know who did it, but upstairs in my office, somebody at some point has painted this verse um, on one of the walls up there, and it's a great reminder for me every time I walk in, I see it. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, look at verse number 15. What's that first word? Study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Of course, we know that to be the Bible. Study to show thyself approved unto God. You know, we go to school, we grow up going to school, and hopefully most of us graduate the the 12th grade. Some of us go on to college, some of us don't. But when you consider a doctor, they'll go through elementary school, middle school, high school, graduate, but then they have to have more schooling, additional schooling, many more years of schooling, and it still does not end there. They get into their practice, and as time goes on, they learn new things as they uh, basically practice what they learn. They put to practice all that they've heard in the college. And as the years go by, technology advances, and they're learning new things, new ways to do things. They are essentially studying their whole life, learning their whole life, and continually, hopefully, becoming a better doctor year after year. And it's no different for you and I, a child of God. We can study God's Word for the rest of our lives and never exhaust God's Word. He can show us something new and afresh each and every morning. And when you think about studying God's Word, Bible study really has three parts to it. It has observation, so you're observing what is there. You're reading what is there, what does it say. After observation, you're going to have interpretation. What does it mean? So after you've read, what, what's trying to make sense of it all? The Holy Spirit guiding you. What does this mean? You're interpreting the Scripture. And then number three, application. Not only what does it say, what does it mean, but application. What does it mean to me? What's God trying to tell me here? So when we study God's Word, we really need to go through that three-step process and understand what God's Word is truly saying. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Most of us neglect study because it's work. It's not easy. It's easy to come here to church and listen to a pastor preach and fill your head full of knowledge based on what he's preaching from God's Word. That's great. That's needed. But it must go beyond that. If all the knowledge we gain is just from a preacher... We're falling short of where God wants us to be. We ourselves need to study, but it's going to take work. Reading God's Word is a great thing. Every one of us should read God's Word. It has its time and place. But we should also study God's Word. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. I get the idea of a farmer out in his field 
from sunup to sundown, working in his field to produce a harvest. You and I are commanded to study God's word, work at it. And then it ends by rightly dividing the word of truth. Turn to Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17. Rightly dividing God's word. It's great to hear preaching and teaching on God's word. But if that's all you do, error can creep in. If you don't know what God's word says for yourself then you're likely just to receive what anybody and everybody tells you. But rightly dividing the word of truth. Look at Acts chapter number 17. We'll read two verses, verse number 10 and 11. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming thither, went to the synagogue of the Jews. These people at Berea, the Bereans, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, but notice what else they did. And searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. It's great to hear preaching of God's word, but we need to confirm it with God's word. We need to, it needs to be our our measuring stick. So the day may come that Uh, the Lord may move you away from here and you're going to have to look for another church. You can look for another church in in, in comparing it in its likeness to Christ. Is what that church is preaching and teaching match with what God says in His Word? Many people preach salvation, and that's great, it's needed. But then some people preach salvation and works, not by the blood of Christ only, but works also. And if all you ever receive is preaching from a preacher and you don't ever study God's word for yourself, then that can creep in there and you are deceived. You don't know the truth. But if you study, you work to know what God's word says, you'll know it's by faith alone. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be baptized to be saved. It's nothing else but by faith in Christ alone. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, comparing scripture with scripture. The Bible says line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. Does anybody have a Thompson chain Bible? It's probably one of the biggest ones they make, right? Really thick. It's huge. You carry it around. It's a workout. That is a great example of, it's filled with Bible references. You can read a, a verse there and see another verse that is related to it, that sheds light on it. And you probably have Bible references in your own Bible. But comparing Scripture with Scripture, having an answer, studying God's Word for ourselves. So I wanted to kind of launch out with that. I'm going to give the message next Wednesday, and so I wanted to uh, kind of lead in that direction. They're going to be related. And so with the idea of having an answer and studying God's Word, I thought, we can kind of begin to look at a doctrine or a truth in God's Word. And today, to finish, I just want to lay a foundation, and next week we'll kind of dive deeper into it. But most of us know of John the Baptist. You could probably tell something about John the Baptist. He was called John the Baptist because he was one who baptized. So, with the idea of Baptist, we are Baptist. I thought uh, there's a great uh, acrostic or acronym of the word Baptist. I'm not going to go through it all, but the first letter B is biblical authority. So 
we understand that as Baptists, we believe that the Bible is our only authority on faith and practice. It's where we turn to see why we do what we do, right? So is our biblical authority. I'm not going to go through all of them, but one of the T's is two church ordinances. You probably know both of those ordinances. It's baptism and the Lord's Supper. But two church ordinances. Ordinance is uh, simply something that uh, in this instance, is something that God has given us. He's ordered us to do. He's ordained us to do this, and he's given it to the church. So these are church ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. In Titus 1, Paul told Titus to set in order the things that are wanting. So we understand that ordinance is something that has come from God for us, the church, to do. So I want to just kind of lay a, a foundation here uh, for baptism. And so Turn to 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. We're going to look at the, the what, the how, the why, the who of baptism. Hopefully, most of you can give answers to these questions. If somebody was to ask you, what's the purpose in being baptized? What's the method of baptism? Uh, what, does, what does it mean? Hopefully, most of you could turn to God's Word and show them from His truth why you believe what you believe about baptism. 1 Peter chapter number 3, beginning with laying the foundation of baptism, the what and, or the how. 1 Peter chapter number 3, look at verse number 21. Verse number 21. So it says, The like figure whereinto even baptism doth also now save us. Notice this, these next words. Not by the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It started out by saying the like figure, the like picture, the like symbol. So baptism, the what and how, it is a picture, a symbol of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Not only that, turn to Acts chapter number 8. For sake of time, I may quickly turn through these. We're just simply laying a foundation. You may not already know all these truths, but it's good to uh, see the verses that go along with them. So Acts chapter number 8. Look at verse number 38. Acts 8, 38. So here we have Philip. The angel of the Lord had told Philip to go. And so he's running alongside a chariot. Uh, the Ethiopian's in there, and the Ethiopian is reading Scripture, and he's going to explain the Scripture that he's reading. He's reading from Isaiah. But notice verse 38. The Bible says, And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And then when they were come up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Baptism not only is a picture or a symbol of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but it also, baptism, is immersion into and out of water. The word baptize is immerse, submerge, down in and back out. Immersion into and out of water. Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. They both went down into the water. And out, he baptized him down into the water. In Matthew 3.16, and Jesus, when he was baptized, 
went up straightway out of the water. So we understand that baptism is in the water by immersion and out of the water. It's not sprinkling. It's a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection. Nobody goes uh, to bury the dead and simply lay them on the ground and sprinkle a little dirt on them. We bury them, right, down in the ground. So that's the what and the how. Baptism, the why or the purpose. Uh, We just read Matthew 3.16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, so one purpose was Christ himself was baptized. And 1 Peter 2 tells us that he is our example. And we are to follow his steps. So Christ is our example, him being baptized. We too should follow his steps. Not only that, uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So we should also be baptized because Christ commissioned us to be baptized and to baptize. He ordered it. He ordained it. It's an ordinance. Also, turn to Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. I'm skimming through these. Again, we're just laying a foundation. Next week, we're going to dive deeper into these. Uh, But Romans chapter number 6, we'll look at uh, three verses here. The why or the purpose of baptism. Romans chapter number 6, look at verse number 3. The Bible says, Know ye not that so many of us, excuse me, verse number 3, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Verse number 4, Therefore we are, are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Baptism identifies us with Christ. Most of us have heard the illustration of the wedding ring, right? We don't have to wear a wedding ring or receive a wedding ring to be married, but it identifies us, if you're a man, with our wife. So, baptism is no part of salvation, but it identifies us as a follower of Christ. Again, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Not only does it identify us with Christ, but it identifies us with Christ's people. He was commissioning his disciples to uh, do these things. Go and teach them and baptize them. It, It was going to identify them with Christ's people and with Christ. Not only those two things, but then also with Christ's message, teaching them to observe what Christ came to teach and preach. Likewise, us too. Turn to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. So, if you've been here any length of time, you understand to join this church uh, requires two things. You must be saved and baptized. So, in Acts chapter number 2... Christ here has been crucified, ascended up into heaven. The Holy Spirit's come down, the Comforter. And here we see, look at verse number uh, 41. Acts chapter number 2, verse 41. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So, Part of joining this church requires being saved 
and then baptized. You could be baptized uh, at another church if it was a scriptural baptism, or if you've never been scripturally baptized, you can be baptized here, and that joins you to the church if you're saved. So we understand even joining this church, you are still identifying with Christ through baptism. We call it believer's baptism. You're identifying yourself with God's people, the people here, and you're identifying yourself with Christ's message, the message that we preach and teach here. And so those are great three things that I've learned here studying this, uh, how it identifies us as a believer. So who? Acts chapter number 8. Turn back there really quick. We'll read a few verses here. You're doing great. A few more moments here. Acts chapter number 8. I want you to look at verse number 35, the who. I briefly mentioned here it's for saved people. Uh, it's not a part of salvation. It does not save you. The water does not save you. The act of baptism does not save you. Coming uh, up, up out of the water has no part of salvation. But it's for saved people. Notice Acts chapter number 8 and look at verse number 35 this time. Again, here we're dealing with Philip and the Ethiopian. But I want you to notice verse 35. Acts chapter number 8, verse number 35, the Bible says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, where this Ethiopian was reading in Isaiah, and preached unto him Jesus. That's a great thing. Verse 36, And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What's keeping me from being baptized? Notice his answer. By the way, this verse is left out of some translations. Verse number 37, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. So what was required to be baptized? He must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he finished. And he answered and said, here was his testimony, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he was baptized. It requires salvation. It is no part of salvation. The thief on the cross was not baptized, but Christ told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. It is not for infants. It is not for babies. It is for people who come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is for Christians. And lastly, we'll end here, the when. Uh, turn back to Acts chapter number 2, and this will be the last place we turn. I want to read one verse here, the when. It is after salvation, again, I've repeated this many times already. It is no part of salvation, but it is after salvation. Uh, notice verse 41. Acts chapter number 2, uh, verse 41. It says, Then they gladly received his word, were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. After salvation, then they were baptized. The blessing of this really is it is an opportunity for a new believer in a first step of obedience. A born-again Christian, their first opportunity to follow the Lord through obedience and obeying uh, what He's commanded us to do, to be baptized. To not be ashamed of Christ, but to publicly profess we're identifying with Christ, what He's preaching and teaching, and His people. So it is after salvation preferred, obviously, the best way is in public, with people observing it. Uh, anybody who would want to be baptized by themselves with nobody around, really, they're kind of saying, uh, to a degree, I'm ashamed of Christ. I don't want people to know I'm identifying with Christ. 
So it's after salvation, it's the first step of obedience as a believer with others observing, not being ashamed. As I've mentioned, next week we're going to dive deeper into some verses and some additional verses to rightly divide the word of truth, to discern some error in teaching and see that, indeed, baptism is no part of salvation. But none of this matters if we're not ready to give an answer to every man that asks us a reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. If all we ever do is keep to ourselves and neglect the leading of the Holy Spirit to go witness, it doesn't matter. Why do we need an answer? If all we ever do is keep to ourselves and stay in our own little bubble, but God has commanded us to be witnesses unto the end of the earth, and He will lead us and guide us and direct us. He will give us the words to say. We read 1 Peter 3.15. And he has told us to be ready always to give an answer to every man. But the day is going to come when we will have to give an answer to God about how we gave an answer to men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your answer book. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. We pray in the days ahead, Lord, as we study Scripture, Lord, that you would open our understanding, increase our faith, give us the answers that we need, that we seek, that we desire. And Lord, help us to hold on to those answers. Hide your word in our heart. And Lord, to be ready at any moment uh, to give an answer. Help us, Lord, to know why we do what we do. Help us to believe more fully in your word. Help us to study as workmen and not be ashamed. Lord, reveal yourself to us more and more each and every day. Draw us closer to you. May we sanctify you in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.